Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Okay, show of hands. How many of you were here last Sunday, in the room last Sunday? Okay, you came back, even though we're talking about money. Look, money is such a tricky topic to discuss. You know, some of our campus leaders were getting together. Sunrise has multiple locations throughout the Inland Empire. And uh, most of us all shared the same experience, and that was that when we got up to preach and we said we're preaching about money, people got up and walked out. I get it. It happens. It happens every year. It's a very difficult topic to talk about. I've heard it said that the three most difficult subjects for a pastor to preach on are money, sex, and money. <laughs> and look, it's not my favorite thing to talk about, but the Bible has a whole lot to say. And I wouldn't be faithful to God if we just ignored it. And so we want to look to God's word. What does he say about God and money? And so last week, we began by trying to clear up some common questions and misconceptions people have about God and money. So here's a quick review. Uh, the first question we ask is, does God need my money? And the answer is no, but he does want to use your money. We are God's human agents in how he furthers his ministry in the world. He wants to use us to do that. And the second question we asked is, if I give, what do I get? And the answer is, you get a blessing, just not always a financial one turns out that blessings come in many shapes and sizes, and God does promise that you will be blessed if you give. And then the last question we asked is, if I don't give, what will happen? Will God stop loving me? Will I get kicked out of heaven? No, those things are not dependent upon our deeds. But what will happen is you'll miss out if you don't give. You'll miss out on the joy of generosity. You'll miss out on the joy of impact. And so for today, our plan is to address three more questions. And so here they are. Uh, number one, why should I give? I know it's kind of important, but why? Second question, how much should I give? What's the magic number to make God the happiest? And then the third question is, are there other ways to give besides money? Are we just limiting this conversation to finances? So to guide our time today, we are going to be in a book of the Bible I'm guessing many of you have never read before, and that is the Old Testament book of Malachi. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, you can make your way over to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. If you find the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and go back one, that'll get you to Malachi. Now, Malachi was a prophet, which means he was a spokesperson for God, and it's important to remember that during uh, the times of the prophets, the Bible wasn't written yet. So God was speaking through these men. And sometimes reading prophetic literature in the Bible can get confusing. So maybe this will help kind of clear some things. The books of the Bible were not written in chronological order. Often, some books uh, overlap others. And that appears to be the case with Malachi. It seems that he was a prophet in the days of a man by the name of Nehemiah, another book in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was famous for rebuilding the broken walls of Jerusalem. Why were the walls broken? Because the Israelites turned their backs on God. They worshiped false idols and all the detestable practices that came with that. God took his hand of protection off. Foreign enemies swept in, destroyed the city, broke down the walls, displaced the people. Nehemiah 
was the one who led a massive rebuilding project to restore the city. And the Israelites moved back home and everyone was on their best behavior until uh, all of the sting of the consequences wore off and then they reverted back to old ways. Perhaps you can relate. In comes the prophet Malachi and he starts seeing the kinds of behavior by the Israelites and he begins calling it out. Let's read together. In Malachi 1, the very first verse, it says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Anyone who's ever dealt with a rebellious teenager can relate with Malachi. Because the conversation is kind of like what you might have had. You know, I'm doing this because I love you. Oh, yeah? Well, how have you loved me? Oh, how have I loved you? Well, let me see. I raised you. I provided for you. I sacrificed you. For, shall I keep going? This was the conversation some of you had in the car today. Huh. Now, I know that there are no rebellious teenagers who come to sunrise. The teenagers who come to sunrise are nothing short of angels whose parents ought to get down on their knees every day and thank God that they get to be in your presence. But I bet you know some rebellious teenagers. Uh, the book of Malachi reads this way. God is the parent or the caretaker, and Israel is like the rebellious teenager. And this back and forth goes on. It's like God is saying, hey, I gave you rules to follow, the, the law of Moses, and you broke them. Oh, yeah? How did I break them? And it goes back and forth like that. The difference between you and Malachi is you might have one or two teenagers you're dealing with. He had thousands. Now, anyone want to be a prophet? Anyone want to sign up for that job? And among the people that he was dealing with were those who should have known better. Jump down to verse 6. He says, It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? The priests were responsible for the religious activity of the Israelites. They were at the temple, and they, they would be the ones who oversaw the animal sacrifices that would be used to atone for sin. And the law required people to bring unblemished animals to the temple. But the people blew right past that rule. They were bringing animals that were lame and diseased. And the priests were like, that's ah, fine. An animal's an animal, am I right? Malachi shows up and goes, no! You are, you are defaming the name of God. And then Malachi turns his attention to the men. This is uh, Malachi 2, verse 11. He says, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Verse 14, you ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So what was happening is that these Hebrew men were cheating on their wives and chasing after foreign women. And then they full-on divorced their Hebrew wives and married the foreign women. Now, this is by no means some sort of argument against interracial marriage today. The reason why God didn't want his people marrying foreign women is because they brought with them foreign gods. And so the Israelite men were unfaithful. They were divorcing their wives and chasing after these women. And th these are just some of the problems, this back and forth that was going on between Malachi and the Israelites. And then he turned his attention to money. And I think what he had to say has fascinating ramifications on how you and I live today. 
Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, why in the world would I be trying to extract financial principles from an obscure Old Testament prophet who's writing at a very specific time to a very specific group of people under very specific circumstances. Here's why. Because this is the only instance in the entire Bible where God says, test me. And it comes in the context of money. Now, there's plenty of other examples in the Bible where God says the exact opposite. Don't test me. Let me give you two, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. This is Deuteronomy 6, 16. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. What happened at Massah? Moses was leading the Israelites. They just passed through the Red Sea out of slavery, and they got into a desert, and there was no water. They said, God isn't with us anymore. We need to see a miracle so that God will convince us that he still cares. Uh Hello, was the Red Sea not a big enough miracle? What's a little drinking water? And so this is used as an example of don't try to test God. Don't make him try to prove himself with a miracle. Now to the New Testament. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself. And after two unsuccessful attempts to try to get Jesus to sin, the devil did this. This is Luke, 9, or Luke 4, verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What Satan was trying to do was strong arm God into providing a miracle. Hey, Jesus, jump off, then he has to save you. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't put God to the test. And yet here we are in Malachi 3, and God says, put me to the test. Test me. Let me show you how faithful I am. I'll pour out so many blessings, you won't have room enough to store it. And this leads us to the answer to our first question. Why should I give to God? Here's the answer. Because he wants to prove to us he can be trusted. God wants you to have a personal encounter with him so that you will know that he is someone who is faithful and true. It's amazing how much we trust God with. We trust God with our kids. We trust God with our futures. We trust God with our problems. But for some reason, when it comes to our money, I can't trust you, God. But God says, test me in this. Look at Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe, that's a financial contribution, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. That word test is an interesting one. In the original Hebrew, it has two meanings. The first one is this, to examine. You know how to examine something? By getting up close and studying it. God's invitation is get up close and personal and study him, study his character. The second meaning for that word to test is to prove. Like how 
pure gold is proved in a refining process. Back then, what they used to do with gold is that they'd put it inside a crucible, crank the temperature up to about 1,000 degrees, and all of the dross or the, or the meaningless stuff would bubble to the top where it can be discarded, and what was left was pure gold. And God is issuing us the imitation saying, hey, put me in the fire and watch how I emerge tested and true. The reason why God wants you and I to test him with our money is so that he can prove to us he can be trusted. It says in Malachi 10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He was almost certainly referring to taking care of the priests. And so that word tithe is a, is a financial contribution. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the priests were the ones, as we mentioned, who were in charge of, of the animal sacrifices. And by the Israelites not taking care of their spiritual leaders, what was happening was that God was drifting further and further out of the center of their lives. This happens with us too. Either through neglect or outright rebellion, God begins to drift. And this is how the enemy wants to work in our lives. If he can get God out of the center of your life, that frees up prime real estate in your heart for other gods to move in. And first in line is the God of money. God wants to have that spot. He wants to be center in our lives. And that's why he's inviting us to test him. He said, I, I want to show you. I want you to see personally how faithful I am. In the words of, of the great King David in, in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a personal invitation. I bet some of you know of people who stepped out in faith and gave money when it, it, it was... It was difficult, and you hear these incredible stories of God's provision and blessing, you know, things like money in their mailbox or groceries on their porch. And we love to tell other people's stories, but do you have one for yourself? Have you had a personal encounter where you stepped out in faith and God met you in that place? I want to give you an example of how a personal encounter can change you and increase the likelihood of God remaining at the center of your life. In the New Testament, Jesus was teaching on the shores of Galilee, and he began to engage with a man named Simon, who would later be called Peter. This is what happened. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Simon Peter was a professional fisherman. He wasn't some weekend warrior who casually tossed a line in the water because it was relaxing. This was his livelihood, his profession. Jesus, on the other hand, was a rabbi, a teacher. If you had questions about the scriptures, that was your guy. If you had questions about fishing, you ask a fisherman. Yet from the shore, here's a rabbi telling a fisherman how to fish. How would you feel if someone outside your area of expertise started telling you what to do? And Peter said, look, we tried it. But, and this is a great statement of faith. If you ever want to, if you ever want to hear a, a faith spoken in a simple sentence, here it is. But because you say so, I will. Peter exercised his faith in Jesus, and this is what happened, verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is an example of what Malachi was saying. If God would open up the floodgates and pour out so much blessing, you won't have room enough to store it. It was literally happening to Simon Peter. And after it did, this is so fascinating. Look how he responded. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He had a personal encounter with the living God. He realized this is no ordinary rabbi. This is the Christ. And when he did that, look at this, verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. How many people do you know who quit their job after their best day? How many people do you know who quit their job after their most lucrative payday? That's precisely what Peter did. He was so moved by the, the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. He had this personal encounter, and he, so much so that he was willing to walk away from money on the table to keep Christ at the center of his life. This is what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to have a personal encounter so that your faith will be strengthened and realize, this is a God I could follow. This is somebody that I could trust. Why should I give? Here's why. Because God wants to prove to us that he could be trusted. And it's in the context of money. I am convinced that the greatest test of faith God brings our way have to do with money. Put God to the test. He can be trusted. First question, why should I give? Here's the second question. How much should I give? So maybe you're like, oh, okay, pastor, you convinced me. I know I should give something, but how much? What's the number? What's the bottom line? Tell me, what is it that I'm supposed to give? Uh, let's go back to Malachi 3, verse 8. The prophet said, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? This would have been a shocking statement to hear because it's an outrageous concept. I mean, how do you rob God? What do you point a gun up to the sky and say, all right, give me all you got? It's an odd idea. But he answers the question this way. How are you robbing me? In tithes and offerings. That word tithe is an interesting one. It's one that none of us use in our everyday speech. I'm guessing that none of you have ever heard the word tithe outside of the context of church. You know, I, I grew up going to church, and in my little small church in New Jersey, we didn't have an awesome kids' ministry like we have here, where, you know, you could just drop the kids off, and they had their own program and songs and a special Bible lesson. I had to sit in the boring service with my parents, and I was always so bored as a kid, so I would draw these little drawings on the back of the bulletin inserts, and I remember one day, the pastor was up there talking about tithes and offerings. I thought, that's a funny word, tithe. So I started drawing a picture. And when I was nine, I came up with this, this original concept right here. Check this out. So in case you can't see the words at the bottom, it says, tithes, sir, tithes. Hey, that's not bad for a nine-year-old. I mean, come on, right? You know, the nine-year-old in me is like seeking your affirmation in this. You know? So it's not tithes, it's tithes. The word tithe literally means tenth. And it goes, it's, a, it's a practice that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis where people would give a tenth of their earnings to God. 
But after God rescued his people out of Egyptian slavery and gave them the law of Moses, tithing became a requirement. God's people were required to tithe on a variety of things. They were to tithe on their crops, tithe on their livestock, uh, tithe for special feasts, tithe to care for the poor, and as we mentioned earlier, tithe to take care of the priests. It was a very intricate system of giving. And so in Malachi 3, when he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the implication is they were bringing part of the tithe. They weren't bringing all of what God required. They were probably saying, okay, I'll give you a little, but, but this much is mine. Robbery means you keep for yourself what belongs to someone else. And what they probably missed is an essential principle for us to understand about biblical giving, and that is this. My money is actually not my money. It's God's money. He just lets us manage it. Now, th this is often a, a very difficult concept to get, but listen to some of the words from the Scripture. This is Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Proverbs 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Everything we have, everything we are, has been gifted to us from God. He just allows us to manage it. But what's so hard to grasp about this is that our minds often divert to, okay, hang on. I was the one who worked that 60-hour week. Not God. Sorry, this money belongs to me. Let me, let me help you understand this with, with a little illustration. There's this uh, group of scientists who got together and determined, we don't need God anymore. So they picked one to go up and deliver this news to God. So the scientist comes to God and he says, God, we just want you to know that we have progressed so much as a people. We've progressed in our knowledge. We've progressed in our technology. And we've come to inform you that we no longer need you. So will you please go away? So God responds, oh, I see. Well, how about this? Before I leave, let's have a little competition. Scientist puffs his chest out and says, you're on. And God says, let's see who could create human life apart from natural birth. Scientist says, well, no problem. We've already cracked the DNA code. We've cloned human life. You're on. God says, okay, so here, here's the catch. We're going to do this book of Genesis style. You have to create human life out of the dirt. Scientist says, no problem. So he bends down and grabs a handful of dirt, and God <clears throat> waves his finger at him and says, oh, no, 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 no. Make your own dirt. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's often the mindset that we have when it comes to our giving. No, 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 this is mine. I started with this. Friends, God was the one who gave you your body. God was the one who gave you your mind. God gave you your talents. God gave you your abilities. Long before you ever aced that job interview, God was forming you in, in the very DNA that he wanted you to have. Listen to these beautiful words from Psalm 139. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you realize that God has known from the beginning exactly the kind of person that you're going to be? 
the kind of talents and abilities you're going to have. He endowed all of it to you. So when you make a financial contribution to the church, you aren't giving to God, you're giving back to God what was his to begin with. And that is such a critical principle to understand. So now the next question is, well, okay, fine. How much do I give then? Is, is there a specific number? Do I tithe? Is it 10%? What's the number? Well, the tithe was a requirement of the Old Testament law. When Jesus came, he fulfilled that law. And while Jesus spoke positively about a tithe, he never required it. The apostle Paul was much more specific in teaching about the amount when it came to giving. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul's teaching to believers in the church was that you intentionally set some money aside, never said it had to be a tenth. You set some money aside and you give it to the church in proportion to your income. Paul's teaching was make a decision in your heart and go with it. For some people, maybe that is 10%. Other people might be freed by that. Wow, I don't have to give 10%? Great, I could give more. But Paul's teaching was give something. You merge that with what Malachi said, bring the whole tithe. What are those two things together? You ought to give something. And so here's the, here's the, the question. How much should I give? I, I believe this is the answer. Enough to exercise faith. Because that's actually what this is about. About God proving himself to be faithful and for you to exercise your faith in this trustworthy God. So if giving a dollar is what exercises faith in your life, give a dollar. If giving 10% is what exercises faith in your life, give 10%. But maybe giving a dollar doesn't exercise that faith muscle. Maybe 10% doesn't exercise that faith, faith muscle. Then give more. But give enough to put your faith in God. You know, just after the last service, I was talking with a woman who was sharing with me about the story of her husband uh, going through cancer treatments. And she said they made a decision as a couple that they were gonna continue to give. And his cancer treatments came out to $35,000 a month. And she said, God has taken care of us every step of the way. I haven't even paid $1,000 out of my own pocket. She goes, I wanted to tell you that to remind you that this stuff is real. And we have decided that we're gonna give and we're gonna put God to the test and he's come through. Give enough to exercise that faith muscle in your life and then stand back and watch God do what only he can do. First question, why should I give? Second question, how much should I give? Here's the third question. Are there other ways to give to God besides money? Quick answer, of course there are. Giving is one act of worship, but there's other ways you can give. You know, in the church context, we often put giving in a trio of words, time, talent, and treasure. And some of you give your time to God by serving in the church. Some of you give your talent to God by using your abilities to draw others to Christ. But I'm not so sure it was supposed to be a multiple choice question where you pick one of those three. Here's the answer. Are there other ways to give to God besides money? Yes, but never as a replacement for giving money. Let's jump back to Malachi 3. 
He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He didn't say bring the whole time into the storehouse. He didn't say bring the whole talent into the storehouse. He said bring the whole tithe, bring the money. This was a financial challenge. We tend to try to put money in some separate category as if God doesn't care. Well, you know, the reason I don't give any money is because I give my time. It was never supposed to be a replacement. It's not one or the other. God wants you to give your money because that's what actually puts our faith in him to see if he's going to come through. You know, it's interesting the mental gymnastics we go around with this. Our our hearts put up natural barriers to this. I I remember a couple of years ago, um, after service, I was talking with some people, and this lady totally blamed her spouse. She goes, you know, I want to give, but my husband won't let me. Well, he was within an earshot, and he comes right over and goes, I never said that. And the two of them start arguing right in front of me. And I'm like, uh, this is a domestic dispute, so I'm just going to step my way out of this one. You guys go home and talk and figure it out. There's another person I was, I was uh, talking to a couple of years ago, and they told me, well, you know, I, I want to give to Sunrise, but I just don't trust that my money is going to be spent wisely. I go, really, why is that? And this person went on to tell me about an incident that occurred 20 years ago. I'm like, 20 years ago? I wasn't even born 20 years ago. <clears throat> I, I said, well, what is it that happened? She, she told me this whole story. I said, well, did you ever ask anybody uh, to, to clear up your questions? Well, no. So you haven't been giving for 20 years over an incident that you never even tried to follow up on? It's time to turn the page after two decades. You know, uh, another thing I, I often hear is, well, I, I give to God, but I just don't give to the church. I give to other charitable organizations. Here, here's my take on this, and this is going to totally sound self-serving because I'm the pastor at a church. I believe there is biblical precedent that you ought to give to your church first before you give to any other charitable organization. Here's why. God's people gave to the tabernacle and ultimately the temple. In the New Testament, Paul instructed God's people to give to the church. And I believe that based on those two things, that you ought to give to a local church first. Now, if you have your favorite Christian radio station or you want to give to the children's hospital or to your nephew who's a missionary somewhere, it's your money. Be as generous with it as you want. But I think it should start at the local church. So now the question becomes is, well, which church? Because Sunrise isn't the only church in the world. You know, here in the Inland Empire, we are blessed with so many amazing churches doing great things for God. You know, there's a church just over in San Bernardino called The Way who's doing incredible things for God. There's a church in Highland called Emmanuel Baptist Church doing amazing things for God. I've become good friends with the senior pastor there. Water of Life over in Rancher doing great things for God. I know a number of people over there. And those are just some of the big churches in the area. Not to mention the countless smaller churches that God is using in, in powerful ways. Here's the thing. I don't give money to any of them. I give money to Sunrise because I go here. This is the church God is using to work in my life. This is where my family is, is, is engaged. This is where my people are. This is the place God is using to move in my life. And I believe that where you should give first is the church God is using in your life to grow you and challenge you. 
And if that's sunrise, praise God. If it's another church, praise God. But be faithful to God with your giving. And I believe it should start first with the local church. And so here's the challenges that we've been issuing uh, for this month. There's three of them, and here they are. Number one, if you've never given any money, start giving some money. Even if it's a dime out of your pocket, start somewhere. Start putting God to the test. If you've given impulsively, start giving intentionally. Don't just rely on feelings. Like Paul said, set some money aside in proportion to your income and give on the first of the week. Set aside a recurring gift. Start giving intentionally. Put God to the test. And then this one. If you've given a percentage, increase your percentage. Test God in this. If he took care of you with the percentage you were already giving, do you think he'll take care of you if you increase that percentage? That's the one that I'm personally doing, and I'm going to put God to the test. And so far, he's proven himself faithful, and I anticipate he, continues, he will continue to do so. Listen, God is a giving God. He's the giver of life. He created the world, and he sustains the world through his giving. And he created heaven, which means in eternity, he's going to continue to give and sustain all who place their faith in him forever through his giving. But his single greatest act of giving is when he stepped out of heaven, took on flesh like you and I, and he gave his own life for the sins of the world. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross, and the reason he did so is so that, so that all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, would be placed on Jesus, so that all who would have faith in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus gets all of our sin, and in return, we get his forgiveness, and he offers it for free. Why wouldn't we take that gift? It's free because he paid for it with his life. So when Jesus asks us to give, it's because he's already lived it. And maybe you're somebody who you've never reached out your hand and received the free gift of salvation only through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that today because that's the most important decision you'll ever make. In just a moment, I, I can lead you in a prayer. I can give you some words that you could repeat after me. But the most important thing is that you got to believe it in faith in your heart. And so if you are somebody who's never prayed to receive Jesus, I'm not talking about acknowledging the man upstairs or performing some religious duties. I'm talking about acknowledging that your sin separates you from God and inviting him into your life, believing in faith and submitting to his authority in your life. If you've never done that, now's the time. I wanna invite everybody in the room, online, to bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you wanna give your life to Jesus in faith, repeat these words after me in the silence of your own heart. Jesus, today I trust in you. I put my trust in a whole bunch of other things. But today I put my trust in you. I confess my sins have separated me from you. But I believe you are God. I believe you died in my place. And today I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Change my heart. Rearrange my heart. So you will be at the center of my life and I can live to please you. In Jesus' name I pray.
amen. Now, if you're somebody today who prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Here's a great way to do that. On your programs, as Pastor Carlo mentioned, is this little perforated card at the bottom. There's a box on there that says, I said yes. I prayed to receive Christ. You can fill that out. Uh, check that box and just tear off this card and drop it in the offering bags when they come by in just a moment. Online, there's links that you could follow. For those of you who've already prayed to receive Christ, but you want to take your next step in your faith journey, here's how to do that. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will exchange a few messages with you to help you take that next step. Maybe you want to grow more, join a group, get involved, you need somebody to talk to, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you could stop by our Next Step table and talk to someone live today. Next week, we're going to shift things significantly, and we're going to talk about very practical tools we can get from the Bible to help us manage our money. So if you know someone who struggles with money management, invite them to come with you to Sunrise next week so that they can hear practical advice from God's Word that will give them some help. Why should I give to God? Because He wants to prove He can be trusted. He wants us to have our own up-close and personal encounter with Him so that we will put Him at the center. How much should I give to God? Enough to exercise faith. And are there other ways to give to God besides money? Yes, but never at the replacement of money. God uses money to test our faith the most. I'm convinced of that. That's why God issued the challenge to his people back then and ultimately to you and I right now. Test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. This week, let's step out in faith. Let's trust him with our money and stand back and watch a God who proves that he is faithful and true. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to thank you for being a giving God, and you've given us so much that we don't deserve. And so, Lord, I pray that you would loosen our fingers off of the, the grip we have on money. I pray this over my own life. I put so much security and hope and believe money is what I need to live my best life, but those are the places you want to have, God. You want to be our security. You want to be our hope. You want to be our life. Lord, help us to peel our fingers off of the money that's yours to begin with and to be generous and make sure that money has its proper place in our lives. Father, as we get ready to give over these offerings, God, I pray that you would take these monies, that you would multiply them, use them to help people here in our community and stretching all the way to the other side of the globe. Lord, for anybody in here who's never trusted their life in your hands, I pray they don't walk out of the doors today without placing their faith in you. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we say thank you. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, and if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. 
That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.